So, you'll turn again into Colossians, chapter 1, and we will make our slow way through this chapter. This morning we were speaking from the verse Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. That's how far we got and we're going to carry on now. Amen. Let's just read verse 12 again. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us or rescued us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Well, I've already showed you a little bit about the background of the letter. Verse 13 is quite crucial uh, because, of course, it refers back to an event that had happened to the Colossian believers where they had uh, undergone uh, a mighty shift. They'd undergone a mighty shift. Uh, The shift had been accomplished in them by the Father. Alright? And the Father had, um, my version says, conveyed them. Uh, Some old versions, I think, if I remember rightly, said transferred. Is that right? And uh, some versions, um, any, any other word there? Sorry? Translated. Translated, removed. So you can get some sort of idea um, that that word signifies a most mighty shift. And uh, just to let you know this, that the particular tense of the word reveals that it is an event that happened once and for all in their past. Alright, it happened to them once for all in their past. So, if I was to think about this in my personal experience, now I think I left home on this trip, yes, I, I left home Uh, on March the 11th more than three weeks ago and I've got another three to go before I get home March the 11th 1966 was the day uh, when I in my experience personally was translated from the kingdom of darkness into the area the kingdom of of the Son of His love. That's, that's my personal testimony, March the 11th, 66, when I went 
underwent a most significant action of God the Father where he gave me the Holy Spirit and I knew he'd given me the Holy Spirit and of course that wasn't the only moment in my experience uh, that was the, the moment when I was saved in my experience you could say um, but you mustn't think for one minute that salvation be began for you when you felt, first felt its power. There are three persons in the Godhead and there are three places where you are saved. And those three places are each to do with the activity, the particular activity of the three persons of the Trinity. For the Father has his part and the Son has his part and the Spirit has his part. So your salvation is anchored in the being of God, the three persons. And I'm not going to expound uh, that today but just to tell you that fact that your but it's very likely that as far as your experience goes um, you can name a date um, you may be able to um, not name a date but just realize that like a friend of mine uh, in Perth uh, a man who's older than I am and um, when I first knew him he came to me and he asked me to pray for him to receive the Holy Spirit and I refused to pray for him and uh, he came again a few months later and again I refused and consistently over about two years I refused to pray for him about the Holy Spirit and in the end he said to me well why won't you pray for me and I said to him what just be another one who's prayed for you you've had so many every minister who's been through Perth has prayed over you and they've tried to make you say banana backwards and all sorts of uh, various ploys to get you to speak in tongues and do this and do that and you've never come to any certainty have you and so I'm not going to be added to that list that enforces you in your disappointments. <clears throat> the Father will give you the Spirit when you're ready. And if you were ready this moment in faith in the Son, then you could receive. Um, but it's likely that... Because um, he was all anxious about What's the proof of receiving, receiving the Spirit? Is it tongues? Is that the evidence? And all these kinds of things. And of course, I said to him, the great proof is that you have the witness in your heart that the Spirit testifies deep within that you are a son of God. And you're likely, brother, to wake up one day in the consciousness that that testimony is in your heart and a couple of years later he came to me and he said to me it's all settled 
He said, I, it, it sort of dawned on me over the last few months that the Lord resides within me, that the Spirit has come. He's one of those who's translated or conveyed or what was the other word? Transferred or removed from the kingdom of darkness the power of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. An event that happened in your experience once for all in the past. Amen. And uh, God the Father conveyed you because of the work of God the Son. And he conveyed you by the blessed gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, <clears throat> you should be uh, rejoicing in that. You should be rejoicing in the fact that you are living in another realm and under another sovereign or perhaps I should put it this way that you should at last because you're now in the light of which he spoke in, chapter, in verse 12 you now are illuminated to see who the sovereign over all things is sovereignty is crucial and that you should know who the sovereign is is crucial to your life. There will be things and there have been things and there are things for some and there will be things that defy explanation. That seem utter chaos. But if you know who the sovereign is, then you have grace to believe through that sovereign that there is cosmos and not chaos. And those two words are very important words. Cosmos, not chaos. Cosmos means order because everything is under the sovereignty of a great sovereign. And he is doing things in order and he is working out his sovereign will and there is cosmos, divine arrangement in the disarray as things seem to appear to you. It is wonderful to be someone who is living in the light. And you must remember this. Jesus said categorically that he was the light of the world. Amen. And of course you know that later it says that God is light. John says that in his epistle. Amen. If you want to know who you are, then you'll have to come into the light and into a relationship with the light and then you'll start to discover your identity. That's the only way. If you try and find out who you are, by any other means, you will go into even greater darkness. You will become a mutant indeed. A perversion. 
You will only discover who you are as you come into relationship with him who is the light. You will discover yourself, your identity, and you all know that this is one of the hot issues of today, self-esteem, self-discovery, all this kind of thing there. It's hot stuff. And, uh, well, there's no way that people can find out who they are. You remember Jesus put it in another way. He said, if you want to find your life, then you must lose it for Jesus' sake. And you will find it. Amen? Simple, isn't it? There is the A to Z, or A to Z, of, I was thinking I was somewhere else, um, the A to Z of the whole issue of self-esteem. Lose your life. Come into the light. And in that light, you will most surely be illuminated as to who you are. We have a man in our church who when he first came in was a woman. And for the first several weeks he came in as a woman. Most of the people would have thought he was a woman. I knew what he was. He'd been a woman for 12 years. He'd never heard the gospel, but he heard the gospel, and he believed the gospel, and without anybody telling him, without anybody counselling him, without anybody passing any judgments upon him, he started to dress as a man. He opened his heart to the gospel, you see. To Jesus, the light. And he began to get light on the dread confusion that had bugged his life almost from when he was a young kid. Am I a man or a woman? Now he knew what he was. The light. He'd come into the light. I'm thinking of another young man the first time I saw him, he was sitting at a piano playing with the light shining on him in an Assemblies of God church in northern New South Wales and I was preaching there. Invited preacher for the weekend and I knew that that young man was a homosexual. Never set eyes on him before uh, or talked with him, but I knew. And he was opening his heart to the gospel. And he did continue to open his heart to the gospel. And he began to walk in the light with the Lord and his manhood reasserted itself. Hallelujah. 
and he hasn't had any homosexual troubles since and he's a happily married minister of God today in the ministry of the Lord full time he came into the light come on into the light beloved it is wonderful to be transferred by the Father and the Father's power through the work of the cross of the Son to be transferred legally into another colony if I can put it that way because the actual word for transferred has to do in the Greek with colonization the usual use of the word was to do with the issue of when people had been uh, taken captive someplace by a great um, warlord uh, they would then transfer those people and uh, put them into another place and to another kingdom to learn its customs and to be integrated into its life so that's what's happening to you is it? these last how many ever years how are you learning the customs and the culture and the ways of the kingdom Amen are you becoming someone who is learning the cult of heaven praise God is that what's happening to you and in the process of that hallelujah you are becoming a proper human being Amen no way that you can be a proper human being except that you come into a proper relationship with your creator, redeemer no other way and there's no other way that you can come into a proper relationship with all the rest of the creation around about you except as you are in a proper relationship with your creator, redeemer come into the kingdom he transfers us Amen and uh, it's wonderful isn't it uh, translated us removed us from the dominion of darkness now thinking about this in the context of the epistle is very important because part of the problem with the Colossians and their uh, twisted beliefs was that they were going back into the worship of angels that kind of thing and Paul is saying now in fact you've been delivered out of that realm you are not to go back to worship of angels and all that and principalities and powers if you go over into chapter 2 where we have already looked but let's look again verse 18 let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility and worship of angels intriguing really um, the way that if you're not careful you begin to unconsciously 
demean Jesus. Now, what I mean by that is that these people in Colossae, some of them were doing this. They were... They weren't denying Christ. They were dethroning him. Now, Islam does that. It doesn't deny Christ. It dethrones him. You see, Hinduism doesn't deny Christ. It dethrones him. You understanding this? Vital that we should. Um, there are it, it, it's uncanny the way it can happen to you where there is a lack of understanding of his sovereignty of who Christ is now back there in chapter 1 the father has transferred us out of the area of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Unusual turn of phrase, isn't it? The kingdom of the Son of His love. Obviously, the phrase is full of the idea of sovereignty. Now, you all appreciate, don't you, that your big problem is to do with sovereignty. Now, I live in a country which is shot through with a hatred of sovereignty. Shot through with it. Where they are cynical about it. Where they hate the idea of authority, of hierarchy. You know, where they want to uh, jettison the monarchy, well that's up to them. But, there's an area, beloved, in which that is just symptomatic of what we all suffer. You see, Jesus came into the world to take away sin. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. One sin. That is the root of all sins. One sin. And that sin, if you want a, a Bible verse that expresses it, the sin of the world is this. We will not have this man to reign over us. We will have him to save us. We will have him to love us. We will have him to heal us. We will have him. We won't deny him. We will have him to be a great example to us. But we will not have him to reign over us. That's the sin of the world. Of which we have all been um, defiled. Wonder, beloved, if it's been taken out of you. Well, <clears throat> we've been transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love. 
Hallelujah. The, there's a book here. Um, here's one. I mentioned to you that this man, Geoffrey Bingham, is not the easiest man to read. The Clash of the Kingdoms. Suggestive title, isn't it? Yeah, that's what's being raged over in your life. I hope it's settled. Clash of the Kingdoms. Which implies the clash of the kings. Oh, you all know, of course, that God has translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now, I'm going to ask you a, a question about the kingdom of God. Now, there are verses that say things like this. Um, the kingdom... Um, or there's ideas around that the kingdom being established. We sing about it. Let the kingdom be established in our praises. That's how someone wrote the chorus. And I changed it to let the kingdom be established in our places. Now, can I ask you whether it's, it is strictly true or not to say that the kingdom of God needs to be established? Is it strictly true? not is it you see the kingdom of God ever eternally has been is and shall be his rule has never been overset and never shall be What you are to understand about this world is that the kingdom of God is over it all. His rule is over it all, but there are pockets of resistance here and there. But they do not significantly affect his purpose one bit, nor threaten his throne one bit. And Satan does not threaten his throne one bit. And never ever has threatened God's throne one bit. As though a created being who is deriving his every breath. And deriving his authority. And deriving his ability. And the very every moment that he derives it. In the moment he derives it. He expropriates it and seeks to use it contrary to the one who's giving it to him, as though a created creature could possibly overthrow the source of his very being. You've thought this through? Because that's Satan. He's a creature. And like all creatures, he derives his being and life consistently from the Father, through the Son. Staggering, isn't it? Staggering. You are never to bring Jesus down to the level of a creature. Now listen. You've been translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now, don't superimpose upon that 
the idea of time. The son of his love has always been the son of his love. You say, what are you, what are you talking about, Bernard? I'm talking about my first point about Jesus. His pre-existence. Of course, he wasn't called Jesus. He wasn't called Lord. He wasn't a man. Jesus is greater than the Father. To Jesus, you see that, you, that you really think I'm a heretic now? <laughs> um, Jesus is greater than the Father. To Jesus, the second person of the Godhead was given the inestimable privilege. The Father is not both God and man. And the Spirit is not both God and man. But to the Son was given the privilege of being both God and man. And in that, therefore, he is greater. Both God and man. Hallelujah. Can I ask you a question? How did he become so great? In the estimation of the Father and the Spirit. How did he become so great? Remember these words of Jesus, I told you, like I said to you about coming out from a framework. You see, they asked, um, they were all arguing with one another, saying, who's going to be the greatest? The greatest. Do you remember the disciples? They were all arguing about, who's going to be the greatest? So, they were embarrassed and Jesus sort of went all quiet when Jesus got near, I suppose. And he knew what they were discussing because he knew human nature through and through. And he said to them, now what were you discussing along the way? Of course, they didn't want to say anything. And he said to them, him that's least is going to be the greatest. Him that serves now, Jesus doesn't give out a nice little principle. So that's very nice. I mean, philosophically and spiritually correct. He's telling you about life in the Godhead. How did he become great? He laid aside and become, became blessed. He laid aside his glory. Is this what your Bible tells you? That's how you become great. That's how. Of course, this is the joy of the Father. And he gave the Son the privilege. But Jesus, beloved, was not always Jesus. And Jesus, not only was he not always Jesus, he was not always Lord, he was not always Christ. Because he was not always man. He was not always man. He became man. Jesus had a pre-existent life. You've been translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's what the father's done. 
So, when did the sun have its beginning? Hmm? Well, he didn't. He's without beginning of days, nor end of life. He's God. Hallelujah. You see, what are you doing thinking that Jesus is like other men? What are you doing thinking that Jesus is a creature? What are you doing thinking that your salvation hangs upon a creaturely act? Listen. We needed saving by an eternal being so that we would know that our return, our salvation is forever. We were not saved by a finite being or else our salvation would be merely finite and the possibility of its resurgence you know, sin's resurgence would be very real, would it not? But I want you to know that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, He died. The man, Christ Jesus, died. And beloved, when that happened, the infinite action of God, the infinite One, dealt infinitely and eternally with sin. Do you understand what we're talking? You've been translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, verse 13. Sorry, verse 14. Am I, is it coming clear to you? Jesus was not always man. He became man. And became, when he became man, he became known as Jesus. What does the Bible reveal about the life of the Son before the world began? There are a number of revelations in Scripture about the life of the Son. The famous one, of course, is in John's Gospel, chapter 1. And we read in John's Gospel, chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and so on. And many of you will know that where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Greek words are proston theon, which means faith to face with. In the beginning... The pre-existent Son of God, hallelujah, was face to face with His Father. He's the Son of His love. Wonderful, isn't it? The Son of His love. You see, you don't have your redemption hinging upon the action of a superhuman being. You, your salvation hinges and hangs upon the action of the very Son of God, the Eternal. 
who became man. That's where your salvation hangs. Do you see, beloved, what I'm trying to show? Why think that your salvation will hang upon an angel and his help? Why do you think that you need anyone else's help? Everything hangs upon the eternal Son of God and His work. Hallelujah! The everlasting work of Calvary. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Am I making sense to you that if it was just an action in time in the life of a magnificent man who was free from sin, who himself had a beginning, then he who himself had a beginning could have an ending and therefore the fruit of his work would come to its end. But he had no beginning and he shall have no end and therefore does the wonderful power of his work effectively work forever and ever. Pre-existence of Christ is vital to our understanding of who he is. Hallelujah. And he is not to be compared with a principality or a power. Be it angelic or demonic or human. He is not to be compared. Bless him. We sing far above all, far above all. God has exalted him far above all. But beloved, the great change that took place, you see, was the exalted the man. You understand that? A son, he was always there. Amen. Co-equal with the Father. You've been conveyed into the realms of the sovereignty of the Son of God. Hallelujah. The pre-existent Son. Now, can I say something else about his pre-existence and its implications? Um, what else am I introduced to in my Bible about the pre-existent life of the Son? Well, um, I'll just haul out one scripture to help us. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I could uh, bring out many others, but 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Isn't it lovely? Um, this word, don't be ashamed. You know, and people are. But persevere, beloved, and you will find that he is infallibly true, faithful and sure, and you will become more and more aware of his greatness. And, uh, <laughs> not that you'll go around saying, it works! Eureka, I've found it! But, uh, 
you'll be saying, you'll just know, and you won't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Do you know, beloved, in the, in the Bible, one, uh, one incredible book, isn't it amazing? He talks about the sufferings of the gospel. Share with me in the sufferings. You know, that's why everybody wants to use the friendly churches. That's why they don't want to suffer. Ostracism. They don't want to suffer being outside the pale. That's the bottom line of so much of it that motivates people. Don't you understand? The gospel can never be user-friendly. It is confrontational. Amen. You say, why? Because it confronts men's desire to hold their sovereignty. And there I tell you, I'm not looking anywhere, but some are in this room here, and been around in churches for years, but touch you on a sore point, and you'll rise up, and you will fight, though it were Jesus himself, you'd spit in his eye. But you haven't got the issue of sovereignty sorted out yet. haven't come to that place and you'll find fault with him sooner or later on something sovereignty beloved fundamental people don't want to suffer that's why I say to you user friendly I'm not making saying to you be the opposite and be awkward and obscure but Understand that sooner or later that young person is going to have to come face to face with the Lord as their sovereign of love and they'll have to bow the knee so deep and that older person and if he does and he will do things and lead you through things that will not please you. The gospel's confrontational. It confronts man's self-love. Where he wants to rule himself. Mm. Well, anyway, verse 9. The power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now that verse tells you quite clearly something about Christ's pre-existent life with God. They planned Yes. Before, what did it say? Before time began. Now, I want to ask you a question. When did time begin? 
not a trick question. It is when the first created being was created. Only God is outside time, but he's also in it. Alright? But he's not controlled by it. You are. I am. I'm locked into it. Huh. So are you. Sagging all over the place. <laughs> uh, young ones doing your best. You know, to keep sprightly and all that. We may try. Oh, we like what we're caught up in the web of time. We're locked in it. But God is not. All may change, but Jesus never. Of course he changed. Did he not? Jesus never changed. That is, in his eternal deity and being as God, he's always been the Son of God and knew no change there in his being. He knew no growth there, no adaptation there, but as man he grew. Is that right? In his humanity he grew. And it is a most amazing thing that through that vulnerability of God as God became man there was brought into the being of God that that had not been made manifest before. It's amazing what we are made partakers of. Hallelujah. But before time began before there was a creature I discover the pre-existent life of Christ. He was with his Father and they had arranged a purpose and grace. Right? Is that what it says? Purpose and grace. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you like that? I hope you all understood now what we said the other night, 48 hours ago, you have been called according to his purpose, not your interpretation thereof. I have been called according to his purpose. And beloved, his purpose is the overarching one. And in the context of that, there are little particular purposes that he has for my life that are not the main thing at all. And there are little particular purposes that he has for your life but are not the main thing at all. Hallelujah. The main thing is this purpose and grace that he settled before time began. It was given to us in Christ Jesus. I love the eternity of God. I love the eternity of His choices and His purposes. I love these things of His sovereignty. I love the fact that He has not lost His grip and cannot lose His grip. I love the fact that He is at the centre of all things still though they appear chaotic to the darkened heart. Walk in the light 
and he shall give you light that shows you meaning in the chaos, cosmos in the chaos, he shall show you. In the chaos of your circumstances, if you walk in the light in patience with him, he shall show you order out of the disorderly and meaning out of the meaningless. For he is the meaning of all things and he breathes meaning into all things and in him there is no divide between natural and spiritual, between earthly and heavenly. Oh, read your Bible at the end. You'll find heaven and earth are one. There's so much for us to grasp. All one in him. The purpose and grace which was given in Christ Jesus. Before time began. Hallelujah. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Isn't that tremendous? What does your Bible tell you about immortality? I'll read something out to you about immortality. Praise God, who God, who only hath immortality. That's in one Timothy chapter six. <laughs> who alone has immortality? That's God. Verse sixteen. What does one Corinthians fifteen tell you? about this word immortality that at the end this mortal shall put on immortality oh do you believe that only God possesses immortality but behold part of his eternal purpose is to share it with you Hallelujah. Amen. Then shall we be like him. Have a body like under his glorious body. But anyway, I'm at the end. (laughs) And I'm talking about the beginning. But of course, as soon as you start talking about the beginning, you inevitably will reach the end. Because the end's in the beginning. And the beginning's in the end, because the beginning and the end are one in him. Oh, creatures caught up in time, enslaved by change, and gladly so, I hope that you're glad that you're changeable. I hope that you're glad. Are you glad that you can change? Are you glad that God doesn't? Amen. Aren't you glad that you can change? Aren't you glad that he shall wrap up this world like a garment and he shall change it according to Hebrews 1? Hallelujah. See, and it's 
amazing. We start talking about the pre-existence of Christ. And we end up talking about <laughs> the life after time has ended. Amen. Isn't it going to be wonderful for everything to be released from the ageing processes? Wonderful for everything to be released from the principles of corruptibility. Amen. All because of the work of God in the Son. Are you happy about these things? That in... <laughs> before there was a creature, a created being, God, had shared his plan with the Son of his love. How many people lived in the kingdom of God at first three people three persons lived in the kingdom of God Amen and then God lavishly created different orders of beings ruling over them providing for them, surrounding himself with them. You have wonderful pictures of this in Revelation chapter 4 where you see the throne and he who sat upon it was like unto a jasper stone and there's the living creatures all around. Amen? Four of them. Bless him. Wonderful kingdom. And then there was found within that kingdom an incredible pocket of intense opposition. Rebellion. It began there in one of those created beings called Lucifer. There it began, but it was all within the kingdom. And everything that's taken place has not been taking place outside the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is. It takes in everything. Amen. His reign and his rule stretches to the utmost bound. Praise God. Praise God. And there are whole areas where they live in a kingdom of darkness within this overarching kingdom of God and they choose to ignore him and his sovereignty and you know what the experience of all those beings are they clash, they crash against everything, against themselves because they are out of synchronization with the king and they are therefore out of synchronization with all the king's things Yes, and that's the explanation to your life. That's why when some of you have gone back into sin, if you have, and you have hid some sin in your heart and practiced it secretly, your conscience has been sorely troubled, has it not? And you've found that you seem to be out of synchronization with just about everyone and everything. You're bad-tempered at home with your wife and kids. 
your bad temper at work, you drive like a lunatic, more so than usual. And everybody's wrong, and you keep dropping things, forgetting things, doing this, that and the other, you get out of synchronization, and everything is chaos, because you're out of synchronization with him who is king. And when you come to repentance and cleansing and forgiveness and so on, you find that you begin to come back into agreement uh, with things about you. And the old, you know, crash of things has passed. It's most wonderful when we begin to understand this. To realize, hallelujah, those of you who cut a swathe of your own through life. You know, for a while, God will let you do it, you strong-minded young woman. You know, and you've got your own plans and purposes. You call them Jesuses and you ask his sanction on them. And he'll let you fold your head for a while. But because he loves you, you're going to hit your head against something. And then there will be the issue... Will you bow the knee? Then you'll discover that under that sweet exterior there's a heart as hard as nails which only he can melt and deal with. Hallelujah. I am constantly amazed at the sheer stubbornness of the human heart even in the lives of those who've walked with the Lord in some measure for a while. Take heart. The Lord is able to melt and bring us low. It needn't be a long process. It's like one man, I may have mentioned him before. Oh, it's all right for you, Bernard. I said to him there's only one difference between you and me brother and it's this I've had my controversies with the Lord and have managed to get it over within two or three weeks you're still fighting after 30 years that's why everything's chaotic about your life brother Never come to acceptance of the son of his love who's the sovereign you're transferred. <laughs> That's why we can't learn his culture. You see, I hope that you're all enjoying the fact that our verse in Colossians is the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, what does that bring to your mind? Now, it brings to mind a lovely hymn that you sing, the king of love, my shepherd is. Kingdom, because every kingdom has its laws, doesn't it? And all the laws of a kingdom issue from the king of it. Is that right? He gives the laws. And God is love. So, this son is the son of his love. And it links up in my mind as well with certain scriptures like this. This is the son of my love. Hear him. You know when this pre-existent son became man. 
what a change, eh? He became man. What do you think about that? God had never been man before. The Father doesn't know what it is to be man. The Spirit doesn't know what it is to be man in the way that the Son knows what it is to be man. It is amazing. The incarnation is most wondrous. It's miraculous. Of course, now you all know that, ah, how did that man come? The Holy Spirit overshadowed the womb of that woman who provided her body, that material. Oh, isn't it marvellous how in Jesus Christ being incorporated into God was matter? Material was becoming one with that which is material was becoming the one with that which is spiritual. Ah, beloved, you see what sin did is produced duality. It produced a great wide divide between the spiritual, you know, and the earthly, the heavenly and the earthly. It, it created this divide. You, you, you find it, don't you? It's in the Colossian letter, you see. You know how they were all... It's the, at the end of chapter 2. Verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You see, they'd embraced an idea that somehow the body and everything, you know, everything material is against what's spiritual. That's, and it, it takes two extremes, this. When people embrace this kind of notion, they do one of two things. They try and slough off the body and the earthly. They try and flagellate it. They try and cut it off. They try and remove it. It's in my way. I can't be spiritual as long as I'm in this body and doing this job, this horrible job. It's all against the real spiritual growth of me. This horrible business. So I don't live. Or they do the opposite. You know what the opposite is, don't you? They indulge the body and say, well, it doesn't matter anyway, it's never going to get really right, so eat, drink and be merry. Let's indulge it. That's the two extremes that people go into. All right? In that incarnation of the Lord Jesus, when that took place and as he lived down here, there was an integration taking place. There was an integration of the earthly and the heavenly, of the spiritual and the natural. He was removing the dualism. Your body's not against you. Your job's not against you. You tell me, when the Father said, First of all, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Had he done a spiritual miracle? Had he healed a body? Had he? Had he preached a sermon? Had he prophesied? 
How do you use the gift of the Spirit? Now tell me, tell me, tell me. Because this way you'll get your job in perspective. You'll get the things that are to do with the village you live in, in perspective. You'll get your workshop in perspective. The father first said it from heaven when his son presented there himself in baptism. And he opened heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And all that son had done was work. Live in Nazareth. Sanctifying the whole realm of what we call the natural. Yes? It's remarkable, isn't it? <clears throat> you can develop that thought and go on. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I read the Apostle Paul and I find that he was a man of hands as well as mouth. Well, that he thought it no shame to sew leather and make tents out of leather. Amen. He thought it no shame. He didn't feel it interfered with his ministry. He didn't have some inflated idea that uh, the one thing vitiated against the other thing. This is a later incorporation into human thought in the church. The idea that, I tell you, the only ones who should be full-time are those who are peculiarly and particularly gifted of the Lord and <clears throat> therefore to actually be employed would severely hamper the flow of that gifting. It is very therapeutic for a man to be engaged in practical work. It helps to further the whole integration of what life really is all about. And one of the problems that we've suffered is that the acme of spiritual development is going to Zimbabwe or going to, I don't know, Malaysia, Thailand, serving the Lord. Or the acme is getting full time as a pastor you know looking after a little flock I said to you yesterday the word pastor only occurs once in the New Testament anyway it can't be a big deal then can it I mean the big deals must be mentioned pretty big ah well you say oh this is all a bit sort of uh, over the top all we've got to do is come under the the mastery of the truth of the Lord. I'm not saying for you for one moment that there shouldn't be pastors and there shouldn't be elders and either. I'm not telling you that at all. I'm just trying to put it in perspective. Stop thinking it's the acme of spiritual development where you shut yourself aside in your study and prepare. Hallelujah. Life. Jesus came and he lived blessing we've been translated into the kingdom of the son of his love 
I'm so glad that love rules. that the kingdom you live in? It's a testing question. It's not an easy one. It's a testing question. Something's happened in your life this year or two years ago that defies explanation. Makes you think that God doesn't rule in love. Or do you live in the kingdom of the son of his love? That love rules. What love rules and allows this, love rules and that happens, love rules and the other. You see, we just think in terms, don't we, of love as opposed to, say, wrath. Hasn't anybody ever told you that you can't have love without wrath? God's wrath is his love manifested against everything that will ruin or would attempt to ruin both you and him. Amen. You see, wrath is the manifestation of his love. When God loves you, then he comes with chastising power when you err and are doing something self-destructively. And they hid their face from the wrath of the Lamb. The day of his wrath. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 1. Do you believe that? That God so loves his creation that in his wrath against all that's vilely ruining it he sends winds waves and he permits the will of man to clash and fight and war and, and decimate the population if perhaps human hearts might turn unto him. And he chastises the nations, puts down and he puts up to believe that God is love and rules over all and we're in the kingdom of the Son of his love on the grand cosmic scale going to talk about the cosmic Christ more another time. I'm just trying to emphasize aspects tonight. Do you believe that you're in the kingdom of the Son of His love? Personally. Cosmically. But what about personally? This thing that's happened to you. Beloved, this thing that you never expected. This anguish. He still rules. Even in this and over it in love and only means you good and through even this chaos as it now appears later on you'll find that he makes it cosmos that in fact it always was cosmos they meant it for evil 
God meant it for good. It's like Amy Carmichael wrote, didn't she? In acceptance lies peace. She was a lady who learned to accept the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of the Son. A king of love. And you see, things begin to... You understand the word cosmos, don't you? You, know, it, you get the word cosmetic from the word cosmos. You know, some of you ladies uh, use a bit, maybe a lot. I don't know, it's up to you what you do. No, uh, don't put earrings in your lips, will you, and stuff like that. <laughs> but you order your faces with cosmetics. Hmm? Is that right? Cosmos. Order. Shape. Glory. Of course, everything's chaos to you if you're not in touch with the king. You can't see him. You're not living in his light. Is it simple? That's what we're saying. But you come to acceptance that he were all Then in the processes of time you'll see that there's there's been order and meaning in this and that. And gradually, you know, it's in these things that you learn the sweetest lessons. You learn his greatness. Hallelujah. There's much to say, but I think I'm going to stop now. Because <coughs> we've got tomorrow and the following day and we can just walk on through the verses king of love my shepherd is whose goodness faileth never never hallelujah will you come ah we've said so much tonight maybe slipped through your mind some of it <laughs> A long salvation forever rooted in the everlasting sun. Glory. I'm not surprised that Jesus said none shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. Not surprised that he said and none shall pluck them out of my hand. You know he said not only his Father's hand but my hand. Hallelujah, doubly held. Amen. <coughs> Praise God. All right. Hmm. Does anyone just want to pray and open their heart to the Lord? We'll take time to just uh, muse and respond have you been in controversy with the Lord have 
You know what to do, don't you? Come into the light of his presence. He who gives meaning to everything. I'm not saying that he will give immediate meaning to the terrible thing that's happened to you or whatever. But I'm telling you that he will take the uh, bitter pain out of it. The bitter pain is the meaninglessness. He won't take the pain, but the bitterness in the midst of the pain. That's because it doesn't have any meaning. It seems to be without purpose. But all things have purpose in him. They all have meaning. Hallelujah. Jesus, Lord. Lovely Lord. Oh, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Come and heal, Father, I pray. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Mm. Oh, Lord, you don't take away the event, the tragedy. You don't take away the circumstance that shattered us. Neither do you take away the pain. But you do take away the bitterness in the pain that comes of the apparent meaninglessness of everything. The purposelessness of it. Because, Lord, you show us that there's purpose. Because you're the king of love. Oh, all the chaos of this that we call history, Lord. But, Lord, we can see, some of us, your finger through it all. Wars and rumours of wars and nation against nation. Oh, Lord, Calvary brings meaning to everything. It was all so wrong. It was all so unjust. But it was all so right. Hallelujah. Come here, O Lord, now. Take that bit of thing right out, right in the core of it. And slowly begin to heal us, Lord those that need it. Hallelujah. Jesus, be magnified in our eyes, Lord. Be glorious.